Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Wanunu. I'm really excited today about our guest, Carlos Whitaker. He's an author, inspirational speaker, former pastor, someone who's just bringing positivity into this world when we so sorely need it. Many of you may follow Carlos over on Instagram, where uh, he and I often interact. He is uh, at Los Wit, at L-O-S-W-H-I-T over there, where among the things that he does is raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for total strangers, for people doing good in the world. He truly is an amazing person. He is out with a new book called How to Human. It's actually his fourth book. It has lessons on how we can connect with one another again during these very divisive times. Carlos and I talk about that in this conversation, how he puts himself out there on social media, uh, sometimes taking incoming, but realizing that that is sometimes what you need to do to make a difference. He talks about the things that he has learned when we start to listen to one another again. We also talk in this conversation about the impact of technology on our lives, some of the novel things that he does to unplug and not get sucked too deep into social media, uh, how he also maintains a positive outlook in what can be a very nasty place, as some of us know. I think all of you will really enjoy this conversation. He's a true pleasure to speak to, just an optimist, positive approach, I learned a lot in this conversation. All right, before we get started here, a reminder to consider joining Mo News Premium for early access to the podcast, episodes like this one that went out to premium users last week, and extra content on our members-only Instagram account and podcast feed. By joining Mo News Premium, it's a way to support what we're doing here, support independent journalism, and added plus is access to that extra content. You can get it for just $7 a month or $70 a year. That is two free months with the annual package. Go check that out right now over at mo.news slash premium. Again, mo.news slash premium. All right, everybody, here's today's conversation. All right, so I'm so excited to be welcoming Carlos Whitaker here. Carlos, we've been trying to make this happen for a while, my friend. We have, and I am I am here. What's funny is we just had a conversation saying that we're doing this face-to-face over the computer, but I'm literally flying to New York tomorrow. We could have done it in person, but hey, we're just going to get it done. We got to get it done. It's, t- it's it's too long. We're not risking anything at That's this right. point. If we've learned anything about this world, uh, and certainly you discuss in depth in your new book about 2020. <laughs> yes. So uh, I I feel lucky to be part of what you call the Insta Familia. Oh, Frankly, thanks, if it man. wasn't for 2020 and it wasn't for Instagram, we would not be having this conversation. We wouldn't today, at least not on my end. Right. Nor nor mine as well. And so, and I'm glad to be part of your news community. I'm all in, bro. I'm like a subscriber to your thing. So I'm all in. Oh, we, 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 we very much appreciate yeah. you. Yes. Uh, we, we call you part of the Mo News team. Yes, Carlos. Mo so, News, bro. So Carlos is an author of multiple books, including a new one called How to Human, which we'll discuss today. He is a motivational speaker, motivational Instagrammer, former pastor, storyteller. Uh, I discovered him on Instagram, but many of you may interact with him through all of his many platforms. You, you may have seen him in person. He's a He's a traveler of many. How many states have you? Are you almost done with 50 states? I'm done. I'm bro. I'm done. I can retire. I've been to every single one. Amazing. Amazing. I'm at 49. I'm just missing a last. Oh, oh my gosh. You may not come back once you go. It's, it's, it's beautiful. My, can you guess what my last state was? The 50th state. Yeah. It's gotta be like an obvious one, right? Like one that like. We're we're Nebraska. 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 If you can believe it. Okay. How was Nebraska? Did it live up to expectations? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I love you, Nebraska, but, but no, it just didn't. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Um, Carlos, uh, your new book, how to human lays out a vision on how to help all of us become the best versions of ourselves, break out of our bubbles, 
uh, start reaching out to human beings again. A tall order, it feels like, in 2023. Yeah, it's a it's a tall order. We, um, Man, I just feel like we've forgotten how. People are so freaking mean these days. And I'm like, were we this mean in 20, even in 2019? It didn't feel like it. Well, that's a question I had. And, uh, you know, it almost feels like there's a demarcation point. People like to point to 2016 election, sure. 2015, 2016. Some people, especially on the left, would like to point to Donald Trump saying everything changed. Everything was hunky-dory before that. I don't know that that was necessarily true, though. No. yeah, And this this is what I, I, I like to remind people that well, all we have now is just more access to people's opinions than we had in 2010. In 2005, we, 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 we weren't gifted the opportunity, and I, gifted may be the wrong word, um, the opportunity to, to actually know and hear what everybody's thinking about every single thing. And it's just, I feel like now we just know more. So we just have more access to people's opinion. Those opinions were there before. There just wasn't necessarily access for people to give them or for us to hear them. So since we're, we found ourselves now in this new season of information, how, how can we best human that information? How can we best uh, process it, look at it, whatever it may be, um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I think you're right. It, you know, you look back at people are like, oh, it's, it's as bad as it's ever been. The world's as bad. It's like abs actually no. Pe- people aren't like, you know, chopping each other's head off for the sake of religion in the middle of Oakley Drive. You know, like that's not happening right now. So things have been right. worse. But, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think we have more access. And so it feels sometimes like it is. But I, I don't know if it necessarily is. Yeah, we access more content in hours, right, than yep. previous generations might have had in their entire lifetime. Yep, yep. There's there's one study, it was a Harvard study that I, I'd found that says that the American, and this was in 2016, that the first 15 minutes that an American is awake, because we use our phones as our alarm clocks, we are right. accessing more information in that 15 minutes than our great-grandparents did in a month. And so <laughs> to look at just the amount of content we're consuming, yeah, you know, I think I think from the, the consumer end, that's going to have have a pretty negative effect on a lot of our relationships. Yeah. So you begin your book and this introduction uh, struck me and I want to just take a moment here to read it because I think it sets up the conversation nicely. The overwhelming amount of news and content and social media chatter tells us that the world has gone to hell, that there is no hope for humanity, that our divided opinions have led us to oppression, that the country is just going to get worse from here, that there is no hope for decency in our world, that the whole thing is us versus them. All that messaging leaves us in a scary place where we are merely surviving instead of thriving. Yeah. There we, there we go. Wow. Good job, Carlos. Set that one up for us, right? <laughs> Carlos, you, you set the table nicely there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you're reading that. I'm like, oh, wait, is the book going to get better from here? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you do. You do. You then spend the next 200 pages explaining that it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. But that certainly does feel like the world we live in these days. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I don't want to let any, I don't want to tell anybody that the, their feelings that they feel that may be overwhelming in nature aren't legit, right? They're, like our, our feelings, I, I like to to say, you know, I've heard this from numerous people, but like our feelings, my feelings don't necessarily get to drive, but they can ride shotgun. So like, like as long as they're not in complete and total control, then they're not going to allow me to make decisions based on the overwhelming nature of maybe how I feel on certain days. And so, you know, at the beginning of the book, yeah, I do kind of lay it out there. I'm like, I'm like, listen, let's call a spade a spade. We're all exhausted. I mean, I was writing this book. So I, I wrote this book and started writing it in 2021. 
one. So the summer of 2020 had already happened. I'd already lost numerous relationships because I'm standing up for justice issues that I believe in. Uh, yeah. You know, when, when it comes to, you know, to the evangelical space, I've been uninvited from a lot of places because I won't stand up and say that I'm a Trump person. And there are all kinds of things were happening. So, And this is the fallout of Black Lives Matter as yes, well, right? Absolutely. It was the, the fallout of Black Lives Matter and of me going to marches and teaching on racial reconciliation, all the things, right? And so I'm writing this book out of a space of, you know what, if 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 I'm going to write a book called How to Human, then I actually need to be the one and to use my story to see if reconciliation, if um, unity is actually something that is just uh, a figment of my imagination or can this actually happen? So, you know, in the book, I go through a, I go through a lot of um, a lot of conversations I had with friends of mine who vehemently disagreed with me politically uh, that had been friends of mine for 20 plus years who our relationships completely fell apart. And I kind of use myself as a case study. Can I continue to be friends with these people? And can I rekindle a friendship that may have been lost because of differences of political opinions? And, you know, fortunately, yeah, I, w- I was able to really rekindle a lot of those relationships. Um, some of them weren't able to be. So I'll go ahead and tell people like the, the subtitle is three ways to share life beyond what distracts, divides and disconnects us, which is like, okay, round of applause to my editor that wrote that nice fluffy subtitle. But the truth is that is hard to do. Right. Like, three is, ways sound simple. Yeah. But then you actually have to. <laughs> then, then you have it's to unpack three it. Things. Yeah, it's just three things. Got yeah. to plug in these three things, and then you know you're going to be set. But no, it's a it's a lot of work. It's a it's a lot of um uh, of us having to uh, to swallow our own pride, my own pride, and and be like if I if I truly want to see uh, humanity thrive in my own small circle in my own small life, I'm going to have to make um, a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to have to sacrifice myself. And, you know, we want the other person to sacrifice a lot. We want that to come from them. But you know, this this process, really, it's a hard book. I mean, when you read the book, I'm going to be asking you to do a lot of things, to do a lot of things like, again, don't stand on issues, walk with people. Well, that's really easy to say. You could put that on a bumper sticker. But what happens if the person, Carlos, you're asking me to walk with is dehumanizing an entire, you know, subsect of Americans? Like, how do I do that? Right, we su- we saw this recently. I mean, I, I was engaged in this whole discussion a couple of weeks ago when CNN did a live town hall meeting with former President Trump. And some people said, how could you? And some people said, why wouldn't you? You know, he's a former president. And we've never been. And by the way, there's never been a president like him. Right. Uh, at the same time, um, if it's 2023 now. Yeah. Uh, like this person's running for president. He has command of his party. Uh, can you ignore him? And people want to, I mean, we can get into this, yeah. but cancel, right? Exactly. P- people, people do. They want, they want to cancel. And I just don't see how, you know, and our good friend, Sharon McMahon, I, I think, right. I think leads the charge in, in, in saying and helping us understand that we, we cannot simply look at another entire group of people say on the opposite side of the aisle and point a finger and say they are the enemy. I'm I'm telling you, the second that happens, we're that is when we're doomed. And that's what I'm trying to tell people is like, no, it's like the dehumanizing, it it's is. dehumanizing when someone is your enemy, you're allowed to do bad things to them. Yes, exactly. And so when we do that, that that's when it starts getting dangerous. And so what I'm, what I'm simply calling people to in this book and in this work is what does it look like to truly see people 
and, and, and maybe coaching people into this, but seeing people that don't look like you, think like you, talk like you, vote like you, love like you, all the things like you, what, what is it like to actually see them and to understand that everything, everything that they're shouting about, everything that you may, that may drive you crazy about what they believe and how they are displaying those feelings and those opinions, it's all rooted. Every, every bit of it is rooted in a true story in their life. So my, my friends that vehemently disagree with me politically and maybe have some outrageous opinions that I think I can't even believe they would think that all of those are still rooted in some semblance of truth in their story. Now, I, I may not have to agree with how they have come out of that story, but we're all wounded in some way, shape or form. All of these things that we're affected by that we're so passionate about, they come out of our story and our, right. our story is real. And the person that disagrees with me on whatever issue it is, they actually have a very real story as well. And all I'm asking us to do is to stop coming to these conversations with fingers pointed like this and instead maybe some hands open like this. And I promise, I promise, I promise we are going to find ways to do this in a healthier way. Well, you know, we keep trying to figure out the, you know, we've discussed a bit in this uh, conversation about like the demarcation point. When did things change? Yeah. Maybe it's social media. Certainly that's had an impact, but at some point our politics became our identity and it wasn't always that case. And we're not that old, Carlos, like it didn't feel this way in the nineties, right. early two thousands that, you know, you could, you know, I, I had an interview earlier today with the head of Gallup poll. Oh, wow. Um, and they were looking at the numbers. Uh, and there was a time when a president, no matter what party they were from, could command more than half of the of the other party in terms of favorability. That is no longer the case. We are a 50-50 country. I don't care how much money you give uh -huh. me. Candid, you know, <laughs> if I'm red and you're blue, I don't care what you do. I hate you. Yes. Right. It's it. But politics is identity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm impressed because a lot of people have blocked out the people in their lives who believe something different. But you talk about how you have friends and it's great that you have friends yeah. who believe something diametrically opposed uh, when it comes to politics. Uh, how how do you maintain those friendships? What are the questions you ask when you have those conversations? Because I get that question a lot from people. Yeah. How can I talk to my uncle or my father or my cousin or my brother? Uh, we can't we can't have a meal anymore. I know. And, and you, the reason why we can't have a meal anymore is because what you see when you see them is you see an opinion. You, you've stopped seeing a human. And, and, and my wife, I, I talk about this really in marriage a lot. Like I, I think that my wife and I, right? Like my wife and I have really different opinions on a whole lot of things, like a whole lot of things. Yes. Of, maybe the big kind of moral issues in our lives. Like we have a compass that kind of leads us in the same direction, but we've got a, we had, we had a difference of opinions on the, on the V word, you know, back in 2020, um, we had a difference of opinion on, on a lot of things. But when I look at her, I don't see her opinions. Like I literally see the holistic picture of who she is. Um, I see her as a mother. I see a lot of great things that she does in my life on a daily basis. And so what I have to do is I have to get to the place where I stop seeing people as an opinion and start seeing them again as a human. And, um, and it's hard. I, I, I know it's difficult to do, but I mean, I'll just give you an example for me. So 2020, um, here we are. I am, I am like, it's the summer. We've got 
I'm in marches. I'm, th- I'm, I'm shouting out on Twitter that uh, no more no-knock warrants. Like, I've done the research. No-knock warrants are horrible. This is not right, something. This is coming out of Breonna Taylor. This is coming out of Breonna Taylor. And I'm, like, yeah. angry. And I'm, like, this and that. Well, I have a friend of mine that is lives in L.A. And he's on the SWAT team in L.A. He's He was in my wedding. Okay? This is a guy that's in my wedding. He's a white middle-aged police officer on the SWAT team. And he saw that everything that I was frustrated about, no-knock warrants, all of the things. And so he calls me after he sees all these tweets where I'm like, ban no-knock warrants. And he goes, hey, Carlos, like, can we talk for a second? I was like, sure. He said, so do you know that I serve no-knock warrants? And I was like, actually, no, I didn't know that. He goes, I have a question. Do you love me? This is what he asks me. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. He goes, okay, do you love my wife, Lori? I said, yeah. He goes, do you love my son, Cameron? I said, yeah. He goes, so I need to let you know, when I leave at night at two in the morning to go serve these warrants, if I knock on the door, there's some bad guys on the other side of the door. And if I were to knock, they would pump 12 shotgun shells through the door straight at me. And I go, well, I don't want that to happen. He goes, okay. He goes, so do you want me, me to knock or do you want me to not knock? And I was like, well... You don't have to knock, but everyone else has to knock. So what, 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 what happened all of a sudden is suddenly he became a human. The, the issue became a human to me. And so I just learned from that conversation that I have to continue to try to see the other side as not an issue, but a human. And that really began to, now, did my mind change completely on no knock warrants? No, like, but I was like, I'm going to now lean in a little bit more and maybe learn a little bit more um, because suddenly there's a human attached to my opinion. Yeah, I feel like we live in an age and companies are doing, you know, huge corporations. Disney uh, is dealing with the fact that they're all expected to have opinions about everything, right? Uh, There's a lot of things coming at us. And it's like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And so no knock norts, right? Right. You've you've decided you're going to have a position on it. But then, you know, you start to do some more research into it and it becomes a more complex issue. It's not black and white, so to speak. Uh, But everyone feels like they so quickly need to jump on things. Yes. Absolutely. It doesn't allow you to see the human beings behind the issue. No, it doesn't. And, and I'm telling you the the more we can, cause listen, I mean, I am, <laughs> I, I, I passionately disagree with so many policies and so many things that I see dehumanize that I, that I see as like dehumanizing policies, but I have to get to the point where I have to be able to, listen to understand and to, to listen to my, whoever it is, point of view that agrees differently than me and sincerely try to see why it is they feel like what I'm doing is dehumanizing because it just, it, it just goes both ways. And I, I don't know, man, maybe I've just gotten to the point where I'm later in life and I'm just like, I'm not th- in my thirties anymore. And I'm just like, I'm not right about everything. Like I, I probably, change my mind multiple times, times a week. I even have a change my mind journal that I use Mm. every week. And I try to put five things in there a week that I change my mind on because I'm constantly trying to learn. You change your mind on five things a week. I try to five things a week. I've I've got my list, five things. And listen, it doesn't have to be like political things. Like I changed my mind on broccoli the other day. Like I'm like, I found a new way to eat broccoli. So like, I'm just constantly trying to show myself. You're pro broccoli. broccoli I'm now pro broccoli as long as it's in a cast iron skillet but i'm just constantly trying to you know if we're if we're if we're done growing if we're done learning what's the point you know so uh, i i just i love to continue to grow in that way that's hard for people though i feel like people 
almost, you know, they might admit to you privately. Yeah, I don't actually believe that anymore, but I'm too embarrassed to admit that I had that wrong. Absolutely. Well, and it's dangerous these days. I mean, listen, I've got a public platform. And if I share something that I've changed my mind on that 75% of my platform uh, disagrees with me, guess what? Suddenly, like I'm in a risky situation. Suddenly, like I, I am like, wow, is, is, is my shifting in beliefs on this subject? Am I going to lose everybody? Am I going to? So it costs to change your mind these days. It co- I'm, so I'm not going to act like it doesn't. Well, I was going to say, like, how did you get to the point to have that sort of courage? Because it feels like for many people, they're scared yeah. of people coming at them. They're scared of being canceled. They're scared to take a stand yeah. Um, yeah. because of what their family may believe, their spouse may believe, their coworkers might believe. I, I became comfortable with it when, uh, and I actually talk about this in How to Human, when right after the Ahmaud Arbery um, shooting went public and I went on my Instagram account and in it was March or I can't remember what, when it was in 2020. You probably can remember, but I uploaded a video. Um, and now listen, at this point in my, in my Instagram career, I had 20,000 Instagram followers and I had basically, fe- yeah, February, 2020 into March, 2020. Yes. I, I basically had built them in an evangelical context, right? So like I was traveling in like Christian churches and speaking on Christian stages. So most of my followers were very conservative Christians. And I got on and I put up a video that said, how my white friends can help the black community today. And bro, I uploaded that video. Mm -hmm. And overnight, I lost 11,000 Instagram followers. I lost half of my Instagram followers and maybe a little less than half. And I remember thinking when I woke up the next morning, oh my God, I made the big mistake. I need to delete it. So I almost deleted the video because I was like, mm. I got to get them back. I got to apologize to them all. Get. But then I thought, wait a second, like everybody didn't leave, which means there's a lot of people that are vibing with what I'm saying. Let me see what happens if I continue on this journey from what I felt was an important thing to talk about. Well, guess what happened? 278,000 followers later, yes, I was canceled by a lot of people, but because I was um, consistent to my beliefs and did what I felt called to do, I saw the benefits on the back end of it. And so, yes, here's the thing. We're all going to get canceled at some, I'm, I'm telling you, if you have... 50 friends, you're going to get canceled because of something you've done. That can't right. be the basis on whether or not we speak uh, with integrity and speak uh, and speak up for things that we believe in. And so I, I saw it. It happened to me, uh, but I'm on the back end of it now. And I'm like, no, it was worth it. How did you get there? Um, because, you know, like I, I go through this. I mean, and, and and by the way, no matter how big your social following is or if you run a business or whether you're like, you're going to deal with this and you get focused on the. You know, even if it's just a couple people, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, who, like no, you, you don't do. know what you're talking about. You're the worst person ever. No. And it doesn't matter that a hundred people praised you or a hundred people thought you did good or you have friends and family, et cetera. You're focused on those, on those people that yeah. didn't get. B- Bono um, uh, famously talked about doing a show at, um, oh, some arena. Uh, it was uh, the one in Paris um, or PSG place, the, 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 the big arena. And he talked about how the arena was full and he was like having the, the show of his life. This was like in the 90s and it was amazing. And then the next day in the paper, there was some 
critic that talked about just how bad the show was and how bad. And he said that for two weeks, he sat there and sulked in the sorrow of what this one man man's opinion was about a show that was filled with 80,000 people that were singing all of his songs. And, yeah. I, you know, when I hear him talk about that, I just have to get back to like, listen, there is the, the large majority of people that are following me on a daily basis for whatever it is that they're getting from me. They may not agree with everything I'm saying, but they're here for the overarching theme of hope that I'm trying to give people. So yes, you know, I just had to get brave enough to know that I'm going to offend people every single day and people will probably let me know that they're leaving. But uh, the truth is, is, is they can go because other people that need to hear the message are going to replace them and they're going to come in. So as long as you're believing in what you're doing, I think you're going to be okay. Your, your wife is referred to you as a hope dealer, Carlos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How did you get into this? Um, talk to me about your your life's journey. How did this? Is this something from childhood? Is this something as a teenager, early career? How and why are you doing what you're doing today? So I um, I, I started off, you know, uh, I was a I was a pastor in a, in a local church in Southern California. I was the music pastor, so you know I, I'd get up on stage and sing these very inspirational songs, uh, and I'd see people, you know, out there really connecting with the music. Uh, and man, there, there was something absolutely beautiful about seeing people connect through hope, through music, through like artistry, an, another way besides just a sermon or whatever. Um, and so I, I I did that, but then after. After a while, I, I I started a blog. I don't know if people remember what a blog is, but if you're over 35 years old, you may remember. So back this before is the, this is the early aughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a type pad blog and I was like every day I'd, I'd type on there and so many people were like, they, they'd comment or they'd send me messages or emails saying, gosh, you, you know, it's, it, you give me so much hope just showing your authentic self. So I started talking about um, my anxiety that I had anxiety. This was back in like 2004. Three. And so, like, I, I remember once I, I took a picture of myself taking um, a Paxil, a pill, a little 15 milligram Paxil pill, which is SSRI. Um, and, I, and, and I took it on my blog. And I remember it was so controversial because I was a pastor at a church, but I was taking medicine for mental health. And so I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. Like, this is horrible. Um, I'm not trusting God enough or whatever it may be. The amount of people that said, Carlos, thank you so much for being vulnerable and showing that, that we can all. Um, we can all search for hope in whatever way uh, we see fit. That was the very beginning where I thought, wow, people are out there looking for a little bit, maybe different version of finding hope than the traditional way that maybe the church has showed them. Well, here I am now, you know, on the Mo News podcast. And I would say that 50% of the people that follow me don't even believe the same thing I believe when it comes to faith, but they're still getting hope from what I'm saying. And so what I try to do now is deliver it in a way that is accessible to everybody, no matter what belief system you have. I still feel like intrinsically we're all created with this humanity inside of us that is all searching for hope in the same way. And, you know, we're looking for hopeful stories. We're looking for, you know, people are just looking for someone else to say, I did it. I went through it and I came out on the other side. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And it's addicting, man. I'm telling you, like, like to, to give people hope on a daily basis is absolutely addicting. And I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing. It's contagious. It is. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I remember just being in a, in a workplace and, you, and it goes both ways, right? Somebody's negative around you and it's contagious in a terrible way. Yes. And in the same way, positivity and optimism um, is, is so contagious. 
So, you know, we're just talking about faith there. You're a man of Christian faith. Uh, you discuss uh, in, in the book, uh, you bring up examples from Jesus's life. Yeah. Uh, how do people react to don't believe in God or aren't Christians yep. or don't believe in organized religion or maybe had a very bad experience with organized religion? Absolutely. Um, how do they react to that sort of thing? And 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 why do you um, still utilize it in, in your books, knowing how divisive that? Can be? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's divisive because people use it to be divisive. And, right. and, and so I, I feel like when somebody, you know, I have a lot of atheists that I actually have like a whole like atheist, basically a review section of my book where atheists have reviewed my book. And they, they've said, listen, Carlos talks about Jesus. I do not believe in Jesus in any way, shape or form, but the way he does it, he's not preaching at me. He's not trying to convert right. me. And I actually say it at the beginning of the book. I say, listen, I'm going to use Jesus I know my picture's on the front of this book, but I'm not the human expert here. I'm not the one that 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 we're going to be looking at. I'm going to be using the model in the life of Jesus. You can believe that Jesus is the son of God, or you can believe that Jesus was like Gandhi, like a historical figure that was just a good dude. Right, right. As a, as a Jew, I'm often asked by people, like, what's your view of Jesus? And I'm like, our view is he was a Jew. He was a guy. Yep. Lived back in the day. Uh, clearly, you know, had 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 a following. Yes. You know, totally. he was a, he was a social media star of his day. If social media existed, <laughs> he would have had a huge TikTok following. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And so, and so, yeah. And so exactly that. And so you can look at him in whatever way, shape or form, but there are stories from his life that I think we can all learn from. And so as I'm, as I'm telling the stories in the book, I'm again, I, I'm not doing it in a way that I think is, is uh, evangelizing or trying to lead people. That's not my job. My, my, my job is literally to deliver stories that is going to pump up and fill in, fill up the lungs of hope of people that are reading it. And so I found it, th this book, to be honest with you, like my publisher was like, I feel like you need to, cause it's a Christian publisher. You need to be more straightforward with your faith. You need to talk about, you know, this and that. And I'm like, no, like, that's not what I do anymore. That's not like how I approach this thing called faith anymore. And so, um, I'll let Jesus do, if someone wants to research farther and look, look into scripture and all that stuff because of my books, that is awesome. They can do that. If, if someone wants to read my book and never talk about Jesus again, that's totally fine as well. And I feel like people feel that for me, like they know that I'm not pressing this thing on them. I'm not forcing them into a way of thinking. And honestly, like I'm continuing to learn as well. So I say it all the time. Listen, there's a lot of pastors out there that are going to tell you they've got God figured out. The older I get, the less I've got figured out about God. Like the, the older I get, the more I'm like, man, this is a much larger entity than I ever even thought possible. And so God's getting even bigger for me as opposed to smaller. And I think people actually like that about the way I approach the whole subject of faith. So this is the book for all 9 billion humans. All 9 billion humans. I, I, I've seen people, Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and Christians, all, all of them take the message of this book. And honestly, like I actually, most of my speaking events now are in front of secular audiences. So there, I, I speak mostly in front of the corporate space. So, you know, I'm doing the how to human message in a corporate context constantly. And so people are desperate to, for this message, no matter what their faith. I, I find your faith journey interesting because the reason why some people turn to faith is for certainty Yeah, that the world is so uncertain, but they can go and uh, hear their pastor or their rabbi or their imam. And for an hour and a half, they're like, Oh, all right. So hold on. I, I know how the world works. Like, right. They have it figured out. This is what God's uh, intention is. That makes all the chaos around me make sense. Yes, yes, yes. You know, that, that's such a good point. And I, I would say this, um, 
if, if you listen, if people listen to my podcast or they read my other books, I am certain for me about what I believe. Like, like I, I am, I'm not like this kind of wishy-washy, like, I don't know. Like, no, like I, when, when I look at in scripture, I, I, I see Jesus and I hear what he says. And so like, I believe in the divinity of Jesus, but just because I believe in the divinity of Jesus does not mean that you, my friend across sitting across from me have to believe that in order to receive hope from what I'm saying that, that, that doesn't mean that, that you have to believe what I believe in order for you to find hope. And so that's what, that's what I'm trying to get to is like, um, yes, like my belief system and life and worldview is based on the, you know, the Bible and the gospels and what I believe about Jesus. But that is not the only way that you can find hope on planet earth. And so I'm, I'm showing people there's, there's a lot of different ways you can find hope. Um, and Jesus is the way that I found it. So, uh, how to human, uh, I see there's, uh, three keys here, be human, see fellow humans and free those around us. Yes. Can you give us the cliffs notes of each one here? Absolutely. Be human. So here's the deal. Like if you want to, how to human, well, you've, you've got to figure yourself out first before you can be hope to other humans out there and see other people. You got to see yourself. So, I mean, I, I go all in on the, I'm like therapy, like freaking everybody in some way, shape or form needs to have somebody, whether it's a therapist, a counselor, a rabbi, a pastor, somebody that you can bounce life off that can see your, your perspective and who you are uh, in a, in a larger context than you, right? Like there's still a stigma around that, especially generationally. I definitely see it with my parents' generation. Yes. I think Gen Z is very open on this stuff. I yep. mean, we're at the point now where they can tell their bosses like, Hey, I need a mental health day. Or <laughs> right. I, need to, I need to leave work early to go see my therapist. Yeah. Uh, but there's still a stigma, it, it, whether it's regionally, geographically, generationally about that. There's a stigma. Uh, and I'm trying to break that stigma. Listen, I'm in my late forties. And so a lot of, a lot of people in my generation, there is that stigma. They, they don't want to go to counseling. If I go to counseling, that means something's wrong with me. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm trying to help people realize that that's not the case. Like you can, um, you get so many tools in life and like, if you want to be human, you've got to figure out like, what, what are the things, the lies that you believe about yourself and how can you break those lies and replace those lies with truth? There's a big section on that in the be human piece. And so all about lowering the volume of life. Uh, and so, you know, wh whether that's social media or screens or wh whatever it may be, uh, how can you lower the volume of life? So the volume of living goes up B big part on silence and just slowing down uh, on the, in the be human piece. Then once, once you've got the be human and you, you're as healthy as you can be, now it's time to start seeing other people. And this is the hard part. This is the part where you start seeing people that- This is your buddy from the SWAT team. This is my buddy from the SWAT team. This is my buddy who you know stopped talking to me, unfollowed me on social media, but he was in my wedding because he didn't like I was talking about Black Lives Matter. These are those people. How do we really see them? You know, and, and in the book, I, I do talk about, there, there is a, a biblical story about an, an Ethiopian eunuch that was seen. He was traveling uh, into Jerusalem to go worship, and he was seen by one of Jesus's disciples. And I just tell the story. I'm like, hey, listen, again, you don't have to believe that in anything faith-wise, but this is a great story to learn from. This eunuch was a black man from Ethiopia that was riding in the lap of luxury because he was the Queen Candace's eunuch. And he was also a eunuch, which means he was castrated. So you got a black castrated rich guy, and then you've got one of Jesus's followers. And in the story, it says that this follower, Philip, saw the eunuch and had to go up to his chariot. And then when he got in the chariot, it said that he had to get 
in the chariot in order for that relationship to happen, to actually see somebody, you can't see them from far away. You have to get really up close. So I say all the time, uh, get in the chariot. What's the chariot you have to get in? Get in the chariot. Well, Carlos, you don't know the bumper stickers these people have on their chariots. He's got a MAGA bumper sticker on. How am I going to get in his chariot? The, 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 the goal is simply to get up to the chariot and then to get in the chariot. And so seeing people, you have to see people from up close. You can't see people with binoculars, but the only way to do it is really to get close and get uncomfortable. And that's where a lot of the work kind of takes place. So that's that see people piece, but it's not good enough just to see them. At the end of the day, everybody politically speaking, whether it be uh, people that you vehemently disagree with, they all think that their point of view is going to give somebody freedom. So I think what we're all trying to do is free people, but we've just got to get to the place where we're like, okay, you're trying to free somebody. I'm trying to free somebody. How can we possibly do that together? Because freedom is really what we're after here. So I use a lot of examples of the Insta Familia in the book, how the Insta Familia gets together and we free people financially. So, you know, we, we do this all the time. We've raised $2.7 million in Venmo donations over the last year and a half. Nobody asks me when I go to tip the piano player in the airport, $70,000 before they Venmo me, nobody says, Hey, Carlos, can you tell me who the piano player voted for? No, nobody asks me that, right? Well, well, why is that? Can you go through any op-ed pieces they wrote for their college newspaper? Exactly. Nobody is asking that question because I feel like as humans, we all have a reflex of rescue inside of us. It's it's all, I start off my book talking about when I was a little boy getting a haircut, um, there was a kidnapping that had happened right in front of me. And this black man, this white man, this, all these different, all these different people went chasing after the kidnapper. Nobody got together and had a committee meeting saying, well, let's figure out what we all believe before we go chase the bad guy. No, like, like there's just this reflex in us. So that's that freedom piece. We can free people together a lot easier than we can alone. And so be human, see humans, free humans is kind of the, uh, the structure and the outline of the book. So you just discussed what you do with your Insta Familia. For those of you who uh, don't follow Carlos, if you follow him over on Instagram, you get a taste of humanity every day, sometimes wildlife, rescuing animals, sometimes. et cetera. <laughs> um, but he's able to, in a world, uh, honestly, today, we got a, another headline about how social media is bad for you, especially kids, et cetera. But Carlos is uh, one of the few people out there trying to use uh, Instagram, social media for good. And so you'll raise money. You raise money for Covenant School families uh, in Nashville, uh, tipping waitstaff at, at restaurants, airport uh, folks, etc. How do you get into that? Yeah, somebody did it for me. So, so, so literally I saw somebody do it. Actually, our friend Sharon did it for me in 2020. I, I'd had the worst week of my life and she didn't have to do this. And she, I, I saw this just tsunami of support come, come to me and my family. And I thought, you know what? I've got a following. I wonder if I can do this as well. And so I kind of accidentally did it. Like there was a follower I had that was in need of a seizure alert dog. Um, and she was having multiple seizures a day and I, she didn't ask me for it, but I just had clicked on her account and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's, she's raised $10,000 and she needs $30,000. And this was, this was early 2021. Uh, and I was like, Oh, I wonder if like my Instagram followers would help. Maybe we can give her $5,000 or something. And I remember putting up the, she needed $20,000. I put up the link on my Instagram stories. And I want to say in two minutes, she had $20,000 and like we'd raise the money. And I remember thinking, wait a second, like who are these people? What is happening here? And so then I did it again. 
and it did it again. And now like I I'm serving a community that's literally addicted. They're be- I'm getting DMS every day. When's the next one? I've, I've saved up 50 bucks in my Venmo. When's the next one we can give to. And, and again, I think we, we have found a, a season where people are so desperate to be unified in something. They're so desperate to do something together without wondering what they disagree with, with other people that I'm giving them an opportunity to do this. And people are running towards it. Yeah, it's it's a discussion that comes up now, given how how divided we are as to like, if God forbid, a 9-11 type thing happened again. You know, like we're old enough to remember what it was like in the country afterwards, how united we were ready to do anything. You know, if the the president asked us to, you know, and some people say it was a lost opportunity to create, you know, a mandatory year of service or I mean, literally this country was willing and ready to do anything. And we were united and there was little to no finger pointing, at least in, in those few months uh, and days afterwards, we were able to do a commission afterwards where we looked into the issues, built new departments, uh, crazy. You know, and crazy. How do we get there again? You know, I, Is you, it possible? you talk about nine 11 and I just remember I, I wrote, a, I wrote an essay, um, on that and how people sprinted in, like there was nobody that picked up their phones because there really weren't any back then to write out their opinion on whose fault they think something is like, no, like nobody had access to do that. So there was no social media. No, that was maybe the, that, that, that was, was maybe the key. And yeah. so what happened? Like our attention wasn't, wasn't placed on, on us writing our thesis on whatever or whatever it was. And we just sprinted into help. Like we were just like, what can we do as a country together? And so, man, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend like I have the answer, but I, I, will say that social media has, I think, been a detriment to unity in in our country. I I, I just think we have so much access to be divided uh, that I'm trying to do my small part uh, to help us get united and get united after um, over over small things, give us small things to root for together. And I just just think that people are getting to the point. um, I'll secretly tell your, your podcast listeners. My next book um, that's coming out in 2014. So this will be your fifth book. This will, yes, yes. Um, will be based on um, the relationship between technology and our souls. And I, I did a big experiment uh, in the middle of 2022 that all the research is going into this. And it's unlike anything anyone's ever done. But I found that there are ways there are going to be ways that we can get back to what we, you and I remember as that 9-11 uniting moment. I think it can happen again. It's just going to take a little bit of work. And I'm doing a lot of work right now to prepare to uh, deliver that to everybody next year. Obviously, professionally, you need to be pretty plugged into the technology. You yeah. have the Insta community, et cetera. What, what are some things you have done that you have found have impacted you positively in terms of how you consume technology or not? Yeah, easy. So for for one thing, what I do is I I carry around, um, I uninstall Instagram every 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 day and I reinstall it every day. So that's something that I, so I have to put my password back in. It's kind of a little bit annoying. Wait, what's your schedule? So you're deleting it at night? Yep, deleting it yep. in the morning? So, okay. so I have two two-hour sections a day that I can have Instagram on my phone. And so uh, it it kind of shifts and moves, but normally it's from 10 to noon and then from three to five. Those are like my, my day. And then what I do the rest of the time 
is I have another phone that just an old iPhone that has no cell service on it. Um, and I record all my videos. So people think that, oh, Carlos is Instagramming all day. But what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm recording everything. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm still filming my day and doing my, going down water slides and filming it or whatever. But I'm not uploading it in the moment. So for me, not sharing in the moment has become such a key piece of how I am um able to, I think, maintain a healthy rhythm when it comes to social media, particularly never upload in the moment. I never upload in the moment. If I take a picture, I don't upload it in the moment. I'm always doing that in those two, two hour blocks, those two sections. And the beautiful thing is now those two, two hour sections, like, it's not like I'm on Instagram four hours a day. It's dropped my use of Instagram to maybe two hours a day. Um, now Instagram pays a lot of my bills, you know, so like, like it, it leads to ways for, for me to make money. It's a big source of my, right. my job, but, um, yeah, so that's become healthy. Um, some other things that I've done is like I've started, I mean, this may sound so simple, but I bought an alarm clock and, and I put the alarm clock next to my bed and I no longer use my phone as my alarm clock. So I leave my phone charging in the kitchen. Wait, you mean like an alarm clock I had growing up? Like, like the AM, FM radio? Yeah, with the radio. I went to Target and button. I bought this really crazy thing that us in the 90s had called alarm clocks. And it plugs into my wall and all it does is wake me up in the morning. Uh, and so I don't I don't start rubbing its face and get angry at things that it's telling me. No, it just wakes me up. And so just little things like that that I've that I've done to try to be more intentional about these moments that I'm that I'm using. And so now when, when I do have my two hours of Instagram time, or whatever, I'm very focused. I'm in my DMs. I'm doing all the things I'm doing, uh, but I don't just have it in there. And so my, my daughter also, I've given her my screen time um, allotment. So when I want more time on whatever app it is, I have to request time for my teenage daughter. And my teenage daughter is the one that's like, oh, I don't know, dad, are you sure you want another hour on TikTok? Uh, and then so she's the one that either approves it or doesn't approve it. So I've given her or some of that access. So I've got a lot of those little kind of life hacks in my life. Did you hit a wall? I mean, what led to this sort of awakening when it came to tech? Yep. So, so when I was first doing my outline of how to human and writing my book, how to human, I looked at my screen time and my screen, I was like, holy crap, I'm on my phone eight hours a day, which, which is the least human thing. I'm writing a book called How to Human. And mm -hmm. I'm on my phone eight hours a day, which is 49 hours a week. Two entire cycles of the sun that I'm looking at these six inches of LCD. And I kept doing the math. That's three months a year that I'm looking at my phone. And if I live to be 82 years old, which hopefully I'll live way longer than that, I will spend nine and a half years looking at my phone. That was the moment for me. And it was February of 2021 where I freaked out and I was like, I got to change something. And so that's when I started shifting things. I think after I finish this recording, I'm going to start to take a look at my, don't do the <laughs> math. Mean, don't do the math. I don't want to do the math, but I also, it's like, it's a professional necessity and it's like, yes, absolutely. It's figuring out that balance. It's the balance. And, and you just mentioned your daughter, uh, you're the father of three. Yes. Um, and I speak to you as as we just uh, my wife and I announced to the world this week that uh, she's pregnant with our first. Oh, my gosh. Um, and we're very excited. And a lot of the discussion, you know, we're she's five months pregnant. We still have four months to go here. Wow. And obviously, you know, a lifetime, God willing, of how, what is the tech diet going to be for us around our children? Yep. What is going to be the tech diet for them? Social media exposure, etc. I mean, these are huge questions they are. that only our 
I mean, this has not been a thing until about 20 years ago. and We're still figuring it out. Totally. You know, luckily for you, you you've got a lot more data available to you than I had when my kids were little, um, you know, and and I, I the one thing I tell parents is, first of all, for every kid, it's going to be different because for, for every kid you have, like all, all my kids know you may have a completely different rule than your sister had because you're a completely different human than your sister is. You don't have the the same capability to self-regulate that she does or, or whatever. Wait, that's a really important lesson. Lesson because some parents come at it like everything's got to be equal. Nope. You get exactly what your sibling nope. gets. Nope. What I 100% I will stand on any parenting stage and say every kid has to be parent. Not only must be has to be parented differently. Like like it has to be. You're going to get to date at a different age than your sister is going to get to date. Your brother like all of that has to do on. You're the getting person. dessert and you're not getting dessert. Yes, I'm telling you. Like <laughs> like like it is it is we my kids know that there is no one size fits all when it comes to parenting. But also I would I would say that. Hold off as long as you can. Hold off giving your kids a phone as long as you can. Like my 17-year-old son just got a phone last year, right? And so, and all his friends had phones since they were 10. By the way, that's like me, man. Like I got my first cell phone just to like uh, drive around the late 90s like junior year of high school. Yeah, totally. You know, absolutely. And so, you know, just hold off as long as you can. Obviously with the world we're in today, we're so connected. Uh, A lot of, a lot of, a lot of my son's connections are playing Fortnite with his friends at night, right? Like they're, they're on there with their headphones, laughing, having a good time. It's different. We live in a different world, you know, than when I grew up. So understand we live in a different world, but also understand that you, you, (laughs) it's going to be hard, but hold off as long as you can giving them, you know, screens. Any other Carlos tips for fatherhood? Are you, are, when's the, is the sixth book going to be a, a fatherhood book? <laughs> I, I, I tell people, everyone's like, you and Heather need to write a parenting book. Uh, and I'm like, as soon as my kids hit 35 and none of them are in prison, I'll think about <laughs> writing, uh, I'll think about writing that book, but I still have some work to do. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I do do, uh, I, I do. And I have spoken a lot to fathers, a lot of men's kind of events and, you know, into that. And, you know, I, I, I guess I would say now you, did you just find out? Do you know? You may not be telling the sex of your child yet. We're taping this before we tell people. So okay, got yes, it, got but, it. But we know. Okay, we know. okay, it's, you know. As a journalist, if something's knowable, I need to know yep, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, my yeah, wife's yeah. the same way. My wife's a big planner, so some people are like, "Oh, you got to be surprised." It's yeah. Like, do we? No, do we no, have totally. to be surprised? I, I get it. I get it. I um, I, I, you know, and so I, I, I do say this, like, like. Parenting boys and girls is different, you know, like, like, like it, it, it is different. And, um, when, when it comes to, I think something that I love to tell parents, especially fathers, especially dads all the time is like, make sure the most important thing your kids need to understand is that when you say something, it's going to happen. Like, like, so w- whether that's like, if we're going to go on a date, I started telling my daughters, we're going to go, we went on dates to Waffle House every single Saturday from when they, when they were little and they knew that that was a thing. And so there have been weekends I've been out of town that as they were 16, they've driven to Waffle House with their iPhone and we've had a FaceTime date still on Saturdays at Waffle House, right? Because they know that I'm a man of my word. And so I think that's the most important thing that kids are looking for, especially in the last few years is parents that are going to do what they say they're going to do. It's just the most important thing. They've got to trust you. And uh, so, yeah, so from from Jump Street, if you say it, do it. And that goes for the bad things, too. Like, if you say you're going to throw, uh, they're not going to have their cell phone for two months, then they're not going to have their cell phone for two months. You start backing up on that stuff, you're going to create a whole mess of trouble. So just let your yes be yes and your no be no. As far as your message, and you know, this applies to your kids, this applies to everyone, uh, how to make a difference. 
the world, you know, the world is overwhelming. I go back to, you know, your intro about, you know, divided opinions leading us to oppression. Country is going to get worse from here, et cetera. How do you convey that sense that uh, in this overwhelming world where there's just like, oh, what am I going to do about climate change and racial division and our politics and our, you know, and is AI going to take my job? And, you know, all the various existential questions that are asked in the first five minutes of a newscast every night. Yep. Where do you begin by explaining this is this is how you can make a difference? Just to, to anyone in general, um, I, I would I would literally say, what can you do right now? Like, what is the one thing you can do right now? The, a great example is when the Covenant shooting happened here in Nashville. Um, you know, it happened two minutes from my house. And I, I I felt this overwhelming sense of doom. Like, what freaking another one? Like, what? The, there's nothing we can do. Politicians aren't moving. Nothing's happening. Well, you know what? I can do something. And I can raise money for therapy for these parents. Let, let, that's what I can do. I, I, I know that. I don't know if that's going to help. Can I tell you, just doing that gave me such a sense of, you know what? The, the sky isn't falling. We, we can figure some things out. So wh- what is it that you can do right now? Just one thing. What's the one step you can make? The one decision you can make in order to breathe hope into somebody else's life. Like the, on the flight the other day, I tried to do stuff. I, I decided I'm going to compliment every fifth person that comes onto the plane. I'm just like, I'm just going to infuse hope. Like it's just a little game that I played. Unfortunately, like an entire men's basketball team came on the, at the very beginning. So I was like awkwardly complimenting these six foot seven men, you know, but then this, this older woman comes on towards the end. She had these big pearls around her neck. Wait, were you choosing something different? Like nice yeah, jacket? Yeah, nice, nice, nice jacket. I'm just like, I'm, I'm cool just going to, and yeah, the smile on people's faces, like when they would g- hear these compliments from me, it was awesome. But this woman, I complimented her pearls as she came. I was like, those are some beautiful pearls. She all, she's all black lady. She all, but reaches down to pick me up. And like with tears in her eyes, she's like, my husband gave this to me. He died two years ago. And I just thank you for noticing them. And she just gave me this big old hug. And I'm like, you know what? The sky may be falling. AI may be taking our jobs over. The economy may be crumbling. But this woman has breath in her lungs because I made a decision in this moment to breathe some hope into her. And so, yeah, do what you can right in front of you. Any surprising reaction to the book? I've had a few friends, uh, and obviously this is your fourth go around here, Carlos. You know, you pour your heart and soul into a book. You're sharing stories, uh, and then you put it out in the world. And like Bono, you wait for the critics to react, even if it's like the greatest achievement you think you've ever achieved. Someone there has an opinion. Yeah. Um, any surprising? You know, you've been going on tour, etc. Reactions to this book? Um, I, I honestly, I think one, probably two surprising things. The first one was. The very first like legitimate professional book review that came in from like a nationally whatever publicized um, journal, uh, it was it was like two out of five stars. And I remember that I got that like the week before the book came out. It was the first one. And I was like, oh my god! Like like that was it was so gutting before anyone else had a chance to read the book that this this pr- reviewer would review it like that. And man, I'm just telling you as an artist, as an author, like it, that was soul crushing. Like I was like, you know, gutted, but then because she reviewed it as like a, as, as like a Christian, she said, this, this book is not Jesus filled enough. It's not faith enough. It's not even, you know, it's not, he's not really defending the faith, but man, can I tell you on the other side, after I started hearing from people that don't have my same belief system saying, this book has changed my life. I'm giving this book to all my friends. I'm giving this 
that was just balm to my soul that actually the people that I wrote this book for aren't the religious. They're, they're not the religious people. They're the people that aren't. And th- what's been surprising is how well it's been received from the non-religious landscape, because this is from a Christian author at a Christian publisher. And so many people that aren't Christian are loving the concept of the book. That's been the best surprise out of the whole thing. All right. So you're talking to a bunch of people on here who consume a lot of news, yep. including yours truly. Uh, we're 18 months from an election. We got another one of these happening again. Oh, gosh. And God knows literally what will come next. Um, how do you consume the news? How do you digest the news around us? We talked a bit about you know your specific strategy around technology. But h- how do you approach uh, a reality that we live in now where you literally, with the touch of a finger, can find out every negative, terrible thing happening in the world within about a minute. Exactly. Uh, well, Mo News, everybody. I know you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> it's it's how I get my news, and it's funny. It's it is funny how like I have, um, I I I have all but eliminated television news. Like I've all it's all but but gone. And something that I made a decision. Uh, this was this was right when I was doing all the research for the next book about technology and our soul. I I made the crazy decision to. Subscribe to the Tennessean, which is our local uh, newspaper here in Nashville. Yeah. And I subscribe to the Tennessean. Now, it, it's got its biases, whatever. But what I do every single morning, I don't know who I don't know who it is because it happens before I wake up. I don't know if it's still a dude named, you know, Buddy in a Trans Am with a mullet that throws the newspaper out and it lands in my front yard. But I walk out in my front yard and I get the newspaper. And that is how I consume my news. Now, I mostly consume my news from newspapers. Now, why is that? Because I make the decision if something horrible happens in the world. I'll be fine waiting till tomorrow to find out instead of just consuming it nonstop. So I read the paper in the morning. I read the news, the kind of U.S. and then the world section. This is your local newspaper. Local newspaper, local Tennessean. Uh, and then and then I got people that I trust on Instagram that I follow like you. But I, I, I consume most of my news from a newspaper in my hands. And it's been the best thing I could have done. All right. Throwback, everybody. Yeah, Carlos throwback, is trying everybody. to take us all back to the 90s. Ah, I go. can't wait. Do you have a pager? <laughs> I, I, will you just page me 911 if it's an emergency, okay? <laughs> I mean, listen, it wasn't so long ago. <laughs> like I had a pager and then I had to find a payphone, call yes. my mom to pick me up with a quarter. Let's go. Um, I love it's, it. It's so funny. I was talking to my parents recently and it's like, you know, we talk about the 50s, like the good old days, or the 60s, like the good. And by yeah. the way, it depends on your background and the life you were leading, et cetera. And now we look back at the eighties and nineties at the good old days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. It, it really is the good old days. It is, you know, it's funny. They're, they're playing Bon Jovi on classic rock stations now. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's the world coming to like Bon Jovi. If you have Sirius XM, yeah. you know that they have like those stations. And I remember it wasn't so many years ago, channel five was the fifties station and channel six was the sixties station. Yep. And then those became too old. And now you have the seventies, the eighties. I, I mean, we're going to soon be too old for the seventies. But now you have the 2000 station and the teens station. And so that just gives you a sense. So of good. Carlos, uh, congrats on, on the latest book and on the next book. Thank you. Um, and on finding a really digestible way to manage social media. Look forward to checking in to see if you can maintain that. And, Absolutely. Uh, how that works. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in New York, man. Absolutely. Safe travels. All right. I want to thank Carlos again for that incredible conversation. He's such a pleasure to speak to. You can buy his new book, How to Human, wherever you get your books. You can also follow him over on Instagram at Loswit at L-O-S-W-H-I-T. 
All right, before we go here, a reminder to consider joining Mo News Premium for early access to the podcast, episodes like this one, and extra exclusive content on our members-only Instagram account and podcast feed. By joining Mo News Premium, we call you members of the Mo News team, and it's a way to support what we're doing here at Mo News, support independent journalism, and access that extra content. You can get it for just $7 a month or $70 a year. That is two free months with the annual package. You can check that out right now over at mo.news slash premium. Again, mo.news slash premium. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon.